Welcome, Legionaries, to Legion Cast episode 32, Hobby Roundtable 14. I am your host, Warwick, and joining me as usual is my co host, Brandon. Welcome, Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me. Those of you who head to the gaming store and forget your tape measure, welcome to Legion Cast. Great to be back here and excited for this conversation. A good hobby store will sell you a new one. And joining us as usual is our co-host, Paul. Thanks for having me back on for another one, guys. Should be fun. Always happy to have you. And no Maniple this week. We thought he would still be on vacation at this point, so we scheduled a returning guest, our buddy and fellow podcaster, Martin Emery. Hey, guys. Yeah, back here for a not book chat this time, just a chat about fun hobby stuff. Which I'm looking forward yeah, to. I thought it'd be fun to to just have you on for a regular hobby chat. I know we had a lot of fun just hanging out and um, talking about the hobby, talking about games. So I'm really glad you got to make it. Today we're going to be doing a little bit of complaining in our GW intern hour. We're going to have a Pyreside chat about balancing units. And we're going to do a big recap about my gaming and hobby weekend down in Dallas, followed up by the Ferex event in Kansas City, which I had an absolute blast at, and I can't wait to do it again. So, Brandon, why don't you lay into this, you know, this treasured subject of yours? Yeah, absolutely. This uh, this one is a little bit of a bugbear of mine. As you guys all, I think, know, the Legiones Astartes Battle Group, Battle Force, one of those, uh, Big new box with all the new Mark III, the new Derrideo Dreadnought, and the Land Raider came out. Uh, came up for pre-order last weekend. Uh, we were actually at the Ferex event when it came out. And so, you know, I, th- I thought to myself, hey, this is going to be a great thing to ask my wife for Christmas for me. Or, uh, you know, something I can just pick up for myself uh, when I'm when I'm ready to really tackle it. And... The biggest thing about this box for me was it almost completely removed any kind of financial barrier to, of entry to the game in my eyes between this and the Age of Darkness box. And so when I looked a couple of days ago and saw no longer available, sold out online, limited run, oh man, that just killed me. And I was really disappointed. I didn't really think to pre-order it because I don't, usually pre-order stuff that's just not my style uh so i am currently you know calling around the local game shops begging to see if they've got an extra copy that they'll set aside for me um i think i've managed to get one um thankfully we've got a pretty good local hobby store down here texas toy soldier um they uh they do a pretty good job taking care of their community but it's it's just really frustrating to me that they do this this limited run thing. I, I don't like it. And while the box, I can I can understand. Um, it is a bundle deal. What actually bugs me a bit more, and by a bit more I mean a lot more, is that the book is also limited run. And that's got like rules in it for extra stuff. Like, I, I don't know. This just doesn't feel like something that should be limited run to me. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's it seems to be a tactic they like to use. You know, it's kind of like what we talked about when they first revealed this, which is a lot of us already have, you know, 60-ish Mark VI Marines. We have all the special weapons and heavy weapons kits. You know, the new Dreadnought is cool, but is it enough to buy the big box? Putting the limited marker on it 
meant that a lot more people went out of their way to pick this up than probably would have um, if they hadn't been a limited run. And, you know, GW likes to make decisions like this, which are really good in the short term for their numbers, but long term are a bit more detrimental. And I think that's what this is about. This was about blowing out the sales on this box so they can say, look how many sales we did this quarter. You know, what's going to happen in a year? Eh, who cares? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That's what I think on this. It wasn't a box that I was super excited on now that it was marked as limited. I, I don't know. It feels like a missed opportunity that I didn't get it, but it also feels like it's just kind of the marketing working on my mind in that regard. Okay, so it took me a few moments to double-check some notes there. But um, I'm not as fussed about the book being limited run. Let's start with the book. Because effectively, every other book they've released has been a limited run upon release. In fact, every product they've released has been li released as a limited run. Because it goes out of stock within a week, and then it doesn't come back for six months. If they are acknowledging by putting that limited run sign on, if we see it as a re-release in a year... Especially as that particular book is, I haven't seen my copy yet, but I'm expecting maybe 75% repeated material they put online already. I can see them going, hey, this is a limited run, we're going to sell out, and if there's a big enough need, we'll go and buy it. Um, now, interestingly, it's been on pre-order now for two weeks, and it's still not sold out. You can still go on and buy, uh, as of... October 22nd, you can still go on and pre-order. So they haven't got through that their pre-release. Now, for the box itself, I am more annoyed about it being limited release. Um, now, while I fully expected it to disappear in two minutes and not come back in stock for six months, because that's what everything does, looking at jet bikes is a great example, I kind of hoped that it would, be a, it would be an item they'd be restocking. But again, that said, I'm looking through a lot of their recent re recent releases, and they've all been this limited order, which is making me think this is perhaps not as intentional as they want it to be. They're just doing it because they're stuck in that position. Um, it's still not great, and I can go on to an entire rant about their supply chain issues I think they're having, which is their own making. You can't defend their supply chain. This, that their, the supply chain's rolled up is why we're in this boat, but yeah. I'd say the the book aspect, I mean, if it does come back in stock later on the later down the line, like you said, three months, six months, whatever, that's one thing. But if, uh, the way I understand it, they're adding, uh, aren't they adding Emperor's Children units specifically into the, the new book? So if that's core material that they're making a lim limited run, that's kind of bullshit. Models are one thing, but like the core rules, well, I guess not core rules, but rules for the game itself are, it would be very frustrating to be a limited run. The The box set definitely really grinds my gears on that because I'm in Brandon's boat too. I didn't realize it was going to be a limited run. I drug my feet for a week, not even thinking about it. So, and I haven't even had a chance to call my hobby shop yet. So I'll have to do that tomorrow and see if they can hold a copy for me. Who knows if they even will. So uh, we'll see there, I guess. So just to, I just double checked. The Siege of Thonia book is still out of stock. So, and that's out of stock almost worldwide still. 
Um, and this book is going to be available as PDF. And I have to say, at least 90% of the folk I'm playing with are using all the PDF books anyway now. So it's not like they're going to be, it's going to be completely unavailable. Yeah, having it PDF is is definitely a step in the right direction, um, especially since, again, yeah, it, it does have like ever it's got the the new Fulgrim rules in it, and it supposedly has some more corrupted Emperor's Children rules as well. Uh, as an Emperor's Children player, I, am I going to use this stuff? Honestly, probably not, because that's not how I've kind of created my force to be. Do I want to have access to it if I want to try it sometime? Yeah, absolutely. I I am of the, I also use mostly just the PDFs. Um, it's just easier to lug it around. But I'm also a collector. I like having the books on my shelf. I like being able to look over at my shelf and see all those books. And if nothing else, you know, and maybe because of that, maybe I should have pre-ordered it. Maybe I should have been more on top of that. You know, maybe that one's on me. Uh, Paul, I do want to push back a little bit on on what you were saying um, just a bit. The new Dreadnought for me was the one thing in the box that I wasn't, that was almost holding me up from getting it. Um, Cause I just wasn't sure if I was going to find a good place for that in my army. That being said, you know how many Marines I have. I've got well over a hundred at this point and I still need more. <laughs> I, I, I like putting together, I like having a, a group that I can rotate through. So, you know, I built 30 despoilers for my emperor's children. I got to build some tactical Marines for them. You know, I'm looking at these Mark threes. I want to start iron warriors. I'm not sure if I will at this point, I was actually looking at these Mark threes and th thinking they might be great dark angels, assault Marines or despoilers. So that, that might be the route I go with them. Um, and also it's just nice to have a, a large lot of Marines that aren't all in the same armor. Mark, this is supposed to be the age of darkness. Everybody's kind of using what they have. And these new kits look great. Um, I mean, I think this is one of my favorite marks of armor. But I mean, personally, it is my favorite mark of armor, Mark Three, and and so I, I definitely want to get a hold of it. And like I said, more Marines and honestly, more Land Raiders too. I I have yet to run out of, of needing more Land Raiders. It just is what it is. All right. Well, thanks for uh, bearing with me, guys, on my little rant and complaint session there. Uh, but that's that's what we do, right? We just shout into a microphone and then throw it on the internet. <laughs> anyway, I want to do a little bit of an exercise with you guys here, just for fun, a little mental exercise as our, as our, next, uh, our next segment here. Um, we're going to jump into our Pyroside chat, which I don't think we've done in a little bit uh, here, is you know, talking some rules here. We got over the past couple of weeks, a ton of heresy games in, uh, had a great time doing it. And we're going to talk more about that in the second half of our episode, I think. So with all of this experience, newfound experience under our belt, I want to talk a little bit about balancing units. Um, and specifically for this exercise, I want each member of this group to pick one unit that they think is overtuned, i.e. they're just a little too good for, you know, what you're paying for to put them in your list. And then one unit that's undertuned is in they, they need a bump up in order to be able to make it in. But the, the, the caveat I'm going to place on this is, I don't know about you guys, I hate it when my books go out of date. 
Um, and one of the things I most specifically hate is when the points in the book are incorrect. So that is my caveat here. You cannot change the points on a single entry. You can add a rule or you can subtract a rule. You can change a stat, but you can't change the points. So you're, you kind of got to be nuanced here. What kind of correction would you make, you know, for your undertuned unit? What makes it now worth the points cost that it already is printed at? And for your overtuned unit, what kind of brings it down to what you're actually paying for it? So anybody want to kick off here or should I lead off? Okay, so I'm going to jump straight in. I want to steal the easy one. The undertuned unit that needs easy fixing is Cataphracti Terminators. For no points change, their weapon skill needs to be five. Done and done. I love that pick. <laughs> <laughs> like, they are simply... I mean, the same true for Tartarus as well, but they need to be weapon skill five. They need to be the veterans. The men are hit hard in close combat, and they just don't. Now, how you get that weapon skill five can be reached in numerous ways. It may make more sense to give them a special rule that gives them weapon skill five under certain circumstances. To perhaps to be a bit more precise about when the weapon skill five shows up, maybe. So maybe what about like a plus one weapon skill on the charge? Maybe or something as similar as being weapon skill five if in base base contact with other cataphracti, or if they have a hero in the uh, independent character in the squad, some variation of. Um, okay. Just they they they're lacking. Everyone knows they're lacking. Everyone got their ten in the Age of Darkness starter set. Most people painted them up, and then they haven't used them since. Uh, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I know Warwick has got 10 Lightning Claw Cataphracti, and it's it's been good on my part, but also really disappointing to multiple times I've watched them just bounce off one of my units. I never, like I never take them anymore. There's well, no yeah. point in taking them, because for the points I'm dumping into those, I can take Scissorain that are a thousand times better, and they can do a thousand other things. So, mm -hmm. well, and I think that's something that a lot of the generic units suffer from is the, and we've talked about this a little bit when we've talked about like generic characters versus named characters, which is the Legion specific units and named characters blow the generics out of the water hand over fist every time. And so it's like, yeah, we could give them, you know, weapon skill five to match up with their named counterparts but then it gets into that thing of cataphracty generics are so much cheaper than the named guys. Well, I'm going to push back on you again here because veterans are weapon skill five and they're a generic unit. So why are veterans and power armor weapon skill five and the guys who get Terminator armor are still weapon skill four? Well, because of their points. Yeah, they're weapon skill five, but they come with, you know, Strength four, AP nothing knives, and then you have to pay tons of points on top. You remember me running those 10-man veteran squads, and they cost like 350 points after I gave them upgrades. They cost almost as much as my Justerin did. So it's, yeah, it's not changing the points, giving regular Cataphracty fives. All of a sudden, they would become a lot more effective just on the sheer fact that they would be able to match named elites at half the points. So that's the tricky part of it. That's kind of the, the issue I have with not being able to alter points is it's going to change the dynamic of a lot of units pretty drastically. 
Yeah, it's about being smart and nuanced, Paul. Get with the program. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think a lot of the generic units do need something because they just get left behind in this cloud of named weapon skill five units. And and I got to be honest, I agree with you that just having them base weapon skill five all the time would be too powerful for their points. But having it, I think having a conditional weapon skill five, you know, based on whether it be when they charge or if they have a uh, a character with them, something like that. I, I think that that would still kind of bring them in line with, uh, you know, where their points values are at and just just give them that little oomph that they need. And think about it, you know, really, if, if you're that afraid of, if it was they get weapon skill five on the charge, if you're that afraid of it, you hold the line against them and then you laugh in their face again. Uh, but I also, I like the idea of having a character with them as well. That was a good idea. Um, honestly, I'd be okay with most of them getting, like, as long as it's not a named unit type yeah. deal, so getting plus one weapon skill. The thing against Cataphracti getting the bonus on the charge is that I just don't see them as a charging unit. Cataphracti are your defenders. Like, they are slow and purposeful. Like, I don't know, maybe the answer is one unit can be declared for, like, company veterans. So like you, you get a unit that can be. I, actually, I got an idea here. Let me let me run this by you guys. I think we all know that Praetors, unless you're specifically bringing a right of war and not allowed to bring a named character, Praetors just don't have a lot going on. What if they could pick one unit like that? Yeah. Well, kind of adding on that, I was going to say a lot of the named Terminator groups have special rules, like the Justerin have a rule which is if they join a character with Deep Strike, they gain Deep Strike. So if they join Abaddon or Horus, they also get the Deep Strike keyword so that you don't have to worry about them not being able to join their retinues. Um, so we could have something like that, just a little extra keyword blurb of if they're taken as a retinue, they can take a Legion Standard and they also gain plus one weapon skill or something like that. So that would limit it to you get one really nice squad with your main HQ that gets a buff that actually makes them a bit more usable. Yeah. Because the real problem is, I mean, the actual problem with Cataphracti is that there is a weapon skill 5 Cataphracti unit. That's the bodyguard unit. But they can only have a maximum of five of them and you don't get the uh, a, a champion. Well, I'll tell you what, I was, you know, we're going to get more to this when we get to start talking about the Ferex event, but <clears throat> I played an Imperial Fist player and his warlord trait was he gives his unit plus one uh weapon skill and he took regular cataphracti saved a bunch of points turned into weapon skill five and they were pretty effective so maybe even just making that like a generic warlord trait would have been nice all right i think we've talked cataphracti enough martin why don't you tell us what's your overtuned pick Oh, that's going to be the Recon Squad. Keeping nice and generic. I knew recon... it was going to be the Recon Squad. The recon, squad are, <laughs> recon Squad are great. I use Recon Squads all the time because they are cheap line that gets to wherever line needs to be. The problem is they're also this unit you want to wheel out with sniper rifles. They just do everything. And I don't know a solution to that problem because they do everything. I think the actual answer, which is breaking the rules of this thought experiment, is actually to have two separate uh, Recon units. You need the recon with sniper rifles, but they do not get line. And they have the recons who can go and recon, and they get recon. 
But I also think the sniper rifle guys, there needs to be less of them in the squad. So it's like two and five or something like that. Less sniper rifles, you can't control objectives with them. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on this one. I love my five-man recon squad, and they do so much work, and then you sit them on an objective, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm actually holding that. I don't think, it, it doesn't click in people's brains unless they use a lot of recon marines. They just see them, they're like, oh, you got your five sniper rifles there standing on an objective, that doesn't matter. At, but yes, it does. I'm holding that objective. You, you throw five in a rhino and have the rhino outflank and show up turn three and secure the enemy objective. Like, the amount of games I won using that in the last Fire event I went to was just, it was, yeah, they're just really good. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I like losing line, making their line conditional, I think, would yeah. definitely bring them in line I, with. I don't mind the bolter of guys having line. It's when you put the sniper rifles on them. Mm-hmm. When the sniper rifles go on, they become that... They're doing two things at once. I will I will say, though, in the most of the games that I've played, I run five sniper rifles on my mm. five-man recon squad. Most of the games I've played, an objective is not a good place to stand them with sniper rifles. No. No, no but, so, but simultaneously, they can grab the objective in last turn. And actually, as I was just saying, I think having five sniper rifles is a problem. Having ten sniper rifles is a problem. Ugh, um, I don't even want to think about that. I've seen... I've, there's a couple of lists I've seen with 20 sniper rifle recon marines in it. Jeez. Yeah. That sounds dirty. Yeah. yeah, yeah and, and so then, if they're... If, you want if, to they're, they're <laughs> if they're with their sniper rifles and they're killing all your apothecaries and your master of signal and, and all that uh, in the first couple turns of the game, that's some pretty dirty dickens right there. Yeah. Well, and actually, I think Martin will jump in here and say this as well because he told he showed me this trick and i used it to great effect you don't shoot the centurion first or the apothecary first you shoot the vexilla first and that sucks for your opponent yeah the vexilla is easy to kill and like but at the same time it's just it's a unique thing you need or you snipe out the comms guy you don't go for the guy in the artificer armor if you can't help it you stop putting those casualties on yeah all right i so what do we think? Is that is that our solution here? Is you split them out into two squads? Ideally, or just limit the number of sniper rifles they have. Mm-hmm. Or oh, okay, yeah. Like, uh, one in five having a sniper rifle would neuter the squad. Yeah, I, I got. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I think that would make sniper rifles completely worthless. Yeah, and then you, but your sniper scouts would still be a thing, and sniper scouts aren't a problem because they can be hosed yeah, down with anything they and they're in Carface armor. Yeah, sniper scouts are only a problem in that. You can't find them anymore. <laughs> okay, that was a good pick. I like that yeah. one as well. All right, who do we want to jump to next here? Who's got uh, Who's got an idea? I think I've got a couple of easy ones. Um, I think an easy fix for me is the Master of Signal. He's a very good console to take, but I haven't found a way to give him heavy unless you put him in Terminator armor. And generally, I put him, like, in my back line with, like, a heavy support squad or something. Just because he's, you know, not out. It's either that or put him with the um, the tactical squad because he can boost their ballistic skill that way. But putting him with your heavy support or your rapier gun batteries 
uh, in a place where he can get a cover save is pretty nice. But uh, when you do that, your heavy support Marines lose the heavy keyword. They can't reroll against template weapons anymore. So they, they kind of lose that buff, um, I, which I understand is, is kind of a trade-off, but just being able to give him a combat shield or whatever and give him the heavy keyword would be really nice. Other than putting him in Terminator armor, I haven't found a way to do it. Maybe I'm missing something, but he's got a very, very narrow... Uh, so, so I'm clear here. You're picking Master of Signal as your undertuned unit. Yes. Hard disagree. Don't hard care. Dis- that You're, is one of the best consoles care. in the game. Don't care. I just want to get very hard disagree. Terminator armor. <laughs> well, so the thing is, there. I've just got to. If you want a heavy guy with a cognitive signum, that's when you pull up your tech marine. Right, I get that, but I'm still taking a master of signal for my Logos Locatora. Uh, I still need the master of signal, and it's put him out in the middle of the battlefield with the tactical squad. Or hide him in a building by himself somewhere. Put him in a squad of, um, or what they called, uh, tactical support marines. Because that's who I would run them with. Because tactical support marines with melters do just as much work as the last cannon squad, and they aren't heavy, and then you haven't got that problem. Ah, yeah. And then they're hitting on twos. Um, yeah, I and I, ignoring. I, yeah, and that suddenly becomes a really, really dirty unit. Really yeah, and, and we haven't even talked about the uh, the vox disruptor. I mean that. That 90-point model can actually screw an entire army over if you get rematched up against the right person. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about this, if we're being fair. I was going to say, it, before the FAQ, not only could it ruin your deep strike army if you matched up against it, it'd ruin your own army if your right of war required you to take it. My Sons of Horus Black Reaving army felt that pain in quite a few games. Yeah. Of Vox disrupting myself off the table. <laughs> All right, so I get it. Master signal, not a great pick. I think for right, well, here, let's 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 put it to our audience here. If you think that the master of signal is undertuned, please send us no. An email so here's the and thing. Make the case. Here's and the if thing. If you think that Warwick is an idiot, also send. All us right, an email. time the fuck out. <laughs> I'm not saying give him a bunch of extra rules. I'm saying expand his war war gear list. He can take like a couple of different weapons and that's about it. Giving him no, a I'm couple not, different I'm not saying you're outside of the requirements of the exercise here. You're actually very well within them. Great job on that. I'm just disagreeing with your pick. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> so my I didn't really have time to think about an overtuned unit. Um uh, gosh, it's hard to say. Um I can see like the uh, Invictorious Scissorane. Why the fuck are they Ballistic Skill 5? And the the Ogrim Pattern Boarding Shields are badass and everything, but they ignore the whole... Uh, the plus one attack with a pistol. It just... The Ogrim Pattern Boarding Shield just says you can't use two-handed weapons. My Invictorious Scissorane still get their plus one attack for their pistols. So long as they're not wielding a Thunder Hammer. Which, I mean, I'm super okay with. And it, it was really hard to pick uh, a, a character unit as badass as the Scissorine for this. But they're cheaper than Terminators. And they do everything better. The only reason they're worse at shooting is because they can only take pistols. Well, and I think you're forgetting one of the biggest things that makes them crazy is they're AP2 at initiative level. That and their line. 
it, they have like, they, they have do like I said in a cheap they package. do their characters absolutely everything better. They're one of the the best. They're probably the best unit in the game, and they're 175 points. All right, Paul, how about you? Uh, what what do you got for for this uh, pirate side chat? Yeah, I actually uh, I have two and a bonus. It'll be really quick. Uh, so for my undertuned, I decided to go a bit obscure. I'm going to talk about Red Butchers for the World Eaters. So back in 1.0, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with them. The Red Butchers have a special rule called Ravening Madman, which I think the original one's a little different from the current iteration in 2.0, but basically it's a lot easier for opponents to hit them. So you'll get a lot of hits put on them, and then extra wounds will come out of that. Um, now how they balance that in 1.0 is Red Butchers had an extra wound compared to all other Terminators in the game. So they took a lot more hits, but they could also then take a lot more wounds because of the extra uh, wound in their profile. So all other Terminators in 1.0 had one wound, Red Butchers had two. When they updated to 2.0, they gave all other Terminators two wounds, and then they didn't update the Red Butchers. So now they're significantly weaker than they used to be, because they still have the Ravening Madman rule, but now don't have the extra wound to compensate for it. So an easy fix would just be make them three wounds apiece. I went up against some Red Butchers in my last game at the Ferrix event. Was not impressed. I, I was able to hold the line against them, so they lost all their charge bonuses. And then when it came down to initiative one, I fucking splattered them with Thunderhammers. Pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. Um, I, I don't like the Ravening Madman rule as a whole. Because um, just making them weapon skill three to hit, it... It makes them too easy to hit. It's that, plain and simple. That was really helped in my favor in that last game because I hit them on a charge where I had, or on a combat in a turn where I had my um, retribution strike active. So my Scizorain were at plus one weapon skill. So that put them at weapon skill six. I was hitting them on twos. Like I said, hitting them on twos, winning them on twos, and insta killing them with Thunder Hammers. So. Uh, yeah, something they need more wounds. They need maybe a higher toughness, so they can. They're going to be taking more hits. They need to be able to resist a little bit of damage. Yeah. So actually, um, I think pip up to toughness five would make them pretty good. Yeah. I think what needs to happen is that ravening man man rule needs to be rewritten subtly. I It should always be hit on a four plus. Makes it nice and easy. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they should have ignore stuff. Like, they should be able to say, we ignore you holding the line. We ignore this. If you throw in a couple of, like, they are just there, I think suddenly they become a lot better, and that rule suddenly starts holding a lot more weight. Um, it, them just being able to hit you automatically, it, it doesn't... There isn't, a, it, there isn't enough there for the penalty. Um, and I think the actual fix is just making that rule have a bit more to it. And it wouldn't be a huge, huge amount of work either. Yeah, it'd be a super easy, just extra line, maybe two if you're really feeling spicy. Uh, so that's my underpowered unit for overtuned. I mean, I figured we'd talk about the big elephant in the room, the unit to beat, 10 LAS cannons. 
in terms of a fix, well, the easiest one would be just hike up the points on Laz Cannons, but uh, since that's not the rule, uh, I suppose it would be something along the lines of limiting unit size, you know, something about blocks of five instead of tens, that sort of thing. It just feels like being able to put that many Laz Cannons in a squad is just a few too many. I mean, we could even do the old 40k thing of a squad of 10, but you can only take four LAS. So the fix for 10 LAS cannons is the simplest fix in the game. And that is to make the defensive weapons rule apply to all units, not just vehicles. Mm. Yeah, that would actually be pretty good. That way you couldn't... So they could only return fire Overwatch with their pistols? Yep. You have to return fire with a weapon the lower than strength 5. No battle weapons. I, I, I actually kind of disagree on that because I think the defensive weapons rule is a problem for tanks as well. Um, but what about you can return fire with battle weapons, but they, they can only snap fire? Snap. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to rewrite the defensive weapon, that would work. Yeah. So you can say, you and, can so anything less than strength of five gets to fire at normal ballistics, because anything over strength of five has to snap fire. And I, f I feel a little resentful here on this one, because every time I run 10 LAS cannons, they get murdered in the top of turn one, and that's just it. <laughs> I was about to say, the LAS well, cannon simp has entered the chat. Well, that's well. I, ha I have to say, once again, that the reason you do that is because you have to. Yeah. You can't leave them on the table. Yeah, they're just absolutely devastating. And it's just to the point where if you're trying to build anything that's really going to hold weight, it's just an auto-include. It just takes up the slot. And you just see it on a lot of games. Unless people are actively going out of their way to not include it. Um, but yeah, those are my two. And then I had a bonus one that I found while I was doing a little research. I found a uh, an upgrade for a unit that serves zero purpose in 2.0. The Custode Shield ca Captains can take a Presidium Shield. And in 1.0, the Presidium Shield increased their invol score by one. So you could go from a four-up Iron Halo to a three-up Storm Shield, basically. Uh, that was deemed to be a little too powerful on Custodes, for obvious reasons. And so the nerf that they introduced is Presidium Shields now give you a flat five-up. You can't add or subtract with your other ones, you just choose. So now you have a character who has a 2-up, 4-up, who can purchase a 5-up invol that he can't use. Now, technically, the reason it's in the book is because a lot of people from 1.0 built their shield captains with the shields because they were that good. And so this is a free upgrade option just so they can keep their models WYSIWYG, but it is just a weird, like sort of software gore kind of moment in the rules well there there are things in the rules that dick around with invulnerable saves uh they're very rare uh yeah, like there's a few psychic powers but i'm pretty sure they turn off all invuls so you can't be like oh you turned off my iron halo here's my shield yeah it's just yeah. no invul saves the only one I can think of off the top of my head, uh, Martin. I don't know if you remember. Did demon? Don't demons have something that messes around with them a little bit? I thought they did. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I know uh, the named Terminator hero for the Dark Angels, Marduk Cedrus. He will reduce your invulnerable save by one. So that's pretty tasty. 
it's not a well i know like some characters get a better invul save when they're in a duel like nathaniel garrow he his invul save goes to a three up and when he's in a duel i but other than reducing them i i haven't seen anything personally and then uh well it was it was a piece of the phyrexian war gear at the phyrex event but that when i played against the night lords he had a piece of war gear that reduced your invulnerable save by two that was, that was brutal. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, that's that's tasty. Okay, well, so that's an interesting, that's a good call out. I like yeah, that it was one. just a fun little, like, I was reading and I was like, what? why is this in here? And I was like, oh, it's because of 1.0. That's a really weird option to give players. All right, well, good shout on those. All right, so I'm going to jump into mine here. My undertuned unit that I picked is bikes and jet bikes. And this is a real simple fix. Toughness 5. I know, Martin. I know you disagree with me, but not all of us have those nice word bearer nope. plasma uh, I'm, cannons. I, I'm, I'm on the. I think toughness five bikes would cause more trouble than they're worth. The actual dropping of toughness is forces to use bikes as they're supposed to be used. Um, as soon as you start using bikes as the not as cavalry but as recon fort units, they actually work. I may, I could make a. That's this that's what's right. I would be happier with the Toughness 5, say, the, the bikes with wheels, the stuff that's on the ground, the big bulkier ones, the Outriders. Mm-hmm. I, I would take that. I'd like, if you want those to be T5, yeah, I get it. But the jet bikes, no, they're meant to be fragile. Sure. Okay. But the, the purpose of the jet bikes are not to get stuck in in close combat. They're to be at maximum range from you all the time. All right. Yeah, I... Uh... Like I said, I played a I played a squad of jet bikes while I was at the Phyrex event, and they just f- flat out folded like paper, um, and it was a little bit sad to see because it's such a nice unit, and kind of pay a lot of points for them. So to watch them just get folded up by a couple of shots from a dreadnought and some tactical marines, that didn't uh, didn't really feel good. I was going to say, I, I almost feel like that's just an inherent problem with heresy overall. Just the amount of instant death, you know, strength, 8+, plus, AP2 kind of stuff that people are throwing around. I mean, we're talking about 10-man last cannon squads again. It's just so prevalent that it makes a lot of those flexible support units a little tricky to run nowadays. Yeah, and it's one of those things, though. If you know how to use them, they become really, really good. But if you don't know how to use them, then you're in trouble. Yeah. I I don't actually have a problem with the prevalence of instant death uh, because I I kind of hate when I, in you know newer editions of 40k and stuff, I really hated the fact that I wasn't pasting things with las cannons and meltas. If, I, I feel like a melta gun should be able to one-shot a tank. That, that just makes sense to me. So... Uh, but yeah, I mean that's a good point. I mean everything's got a place, and just learning how to use it with the rules that uh, that's been given to it is uh, is important. So I'm gonna kind of come off that horse and get into my overtuned unit. The entire reason that I came up with this uh, segment was just to trick Warwick into letting me complain about his suzerains. And too late, I beat you to it. I know you beat me to it, so I'm going to add a bonus one in the end. I actually have a different tweak for these guys than you did. Was You're knocking them down to Ballistic Skill 4. 
I don't think that works at all. I, I'm knocking them down to two attacks. No. Yeah, that, that they have more attacks than any other elite infantry. Wait, I think besides just Aaron. Are they You're being three dramatic. attacks? They're three attacks oh, yeah. apiece. They, I mean, these guys are, are 175 for five. And these guys are basically just Praetor, a unit of Praetors. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane. That's so, so cheap. I had 10 of them in my Ferex list. And I, it, it towards the end of the event, the event, I thought, man, I'm kind of a douche because I got this OP unit. I still got a sportsmanship award. So, yeah, I thought I had a really douchey list, but apparently it, it was enough to, to get me voted nicest loyalist out there, I guess. there. Okay, so there, something that really actually is what made me think about this was that Ferex event. And there's a point, there's a game we're going to talk about, and I know you know what I'm talking about, we'll get there, but this is what's making me say these guys are out of control. Um, so, yeah, they're, but yeah, three attacks base, they're all characters, they all have line... Um, they're all weapon skill five with the right of war. They can all go to weapon skill six for a turn, uh, every other turn functionally. So yeah, I mean, just, I mean, I'm looking at my dark angels. I'm looking at my emperor's children. I'm like, I, I'm looking at his just staring at Paul's just staring. I'm like, I just, I, we don't have anything to touch that. So the, the whole set segment here, if we, I just want to capstone it could have been us just going through the, uh, exemplary PDF because no, they're not exemplary. No, no, but they're in that. They're in that extended PDF. They no, they're not. They're they're base unit in the core book. Caesar yeah, they're in the core book. Are they in the core book? Yeah. No. I think you might I, be. Thinking you're thinking of, of Full Mentaris, which is a whole yeah. different conversation. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the Suzerains are fine. I'm actually going to push back on that. I was thinking you were talking about Full Mentaris. No, the Suzerains are fine. You think the Full Mentaris are busted? Oh, Full Mentaris are busted with their no, missiles. No, yeah. no, they're, no, they're... they get they get splattered first turn every game. Unless you're hiding them in a building and they're just heat seeking yeah. commando missiles. No, but no, this, this, the the guys with the shields they're fine. I mean, they're a pain. Yes, the guys with the shields and axes. I, yeah, no, never once have I worried about seeing them on the table. Oh, we should play sometime. Yeah, <laughs> I, I <laughs> look strongly. Ch- I would love to see that matchup happen. Uh, I mean, I think I, th- I think the last game I chewed them up with a unit of uh, no I, I exploded your knight which destroyed the transport no no, no not with game view but last time i fought them on the on a battlefield oh, oh okay like gotcha. like they, they're a scary unit but they're still heavy and they can be like a bit like the jet bike issue like yeah sure jet bikes are gonna die but like from a taurus like, yeah, that'll kill whatever you put in contact with them unless yes. i put a block of things that aren't going away yeah and then well but, done yeah, you guys let me be clear they're not unbeatable but it takes some doing. I think I just have unit envy because they do everything that the Jostarin do for like half the points. Oh yeah, I mean they're better than anything in the World Bearers list. Well, so that and I think that's what I'm talking about. We can't change the points on these guys. If we were talking points change, I would just basically add a hundred points onto that squad. Um, but we're not talking points change. That's why I'm saying. Bust them down to two attacks. They still get their extra attack for their shield because why not? And then uh, the Legatine Axe, for some go- ungodly reason, is not a specialist weapon. I just never had issue with them. So. No. Well, I like, guess that sounds like a challenge, Warwick. My God, that sigh. 
Jeez. Uh, well, they're still only strength four. I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah, they're the strength four. What, the weapon skill five most of the time? They've only got two plus armor save. They've only got two wounds. So, you know, toughness four. You just hit them with some big pie plates. They disappear. I'm going to start running a librarian with them. Biomancy. Yeah. <laughs> I can make them dirtier. It's like, I can fix her. No, I can well, make her worse. Well, and yeah, here's another thing, too. And we, we've talked about this, and we're like, if you're going to get real mean with them, you bring the librarian with them, and then since you're taking them in an elite slot instead of being a retinue, you throw an apothecary in there with them, too. Then you're just getting real silly. Um, anyway, I, I, I also have a bonus for this section here. And this is actually not a unit. Um, this is a rule that I think needs to be reworked a bit. Um, and that is hold the line. Uh, this reaction, I think, is more problematic than anything else in the game in the fact that it can shut off entire armies, army bonus, and their right of war, and everything else. Um, yeah, I mean, you're pointing down at Paul right now. Yeah, he's it. And I also got to uniquely feel this as well when I put my Emperor's Children on the table, too. Okay, I agree, but I'm going to do a story time here. Yesterday I played a massive game of Heresy. 12,000 points, so 6,000 points aside. Saw the pictures that looked like great yeah. fun. One side was all militia, one side was Dark Angels and Blood Angels. I took a small Woodbearer uh, ally. It was literally a Tactical Squad, a Prevalion, and a Decimator. Because I wanted to see what a Decimator did. Terminators with Thunderhammers tried to charge my Decimator... Oh no, my Decimator tried to charge the Terminator with Thunderhammer. They tried to hold the line. They failed, so they had to run away. Now, because of a quirk of the battlefield, my Decimator couldn't make it in contact, combat with them, so they got away. Then they spent the next turn doing nothing, because then they rallied. So, by one leadership check fail, it was like I slaughtered them all. They just milled around and did nothing. It is weird and broken, and it just... I get what it's trying so, to do, but it fails to do it. Yeah. So when it when it works, it definitely always works very well. Well, When it fails, it's a total catastrophe. Well, I think that points out, though, no matter what happens here, somebody's having a real bad time because of it. Yeah, it's like... I almost never use it because I don't want to risk running away. But, like, it, I don't know. It's so... And it's badly worded. Like, what happens in a multiple charge? Well, you hold the line. If you get the whole line up, then it stops anyone getting it against you. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, this does come to the fact that, once again, reactions are a bit problematic in our current edition. They're a lot lot, lot better in Zone Mortalis because they've had a little bit more cooking time. Well, that, yeah, then we, we get into my uh, my solution here. I think Brace, the Zone Mortalis Assault Phase Reaction, is a much better rule. Significantly better. So much so that I would say get rid of Hold the Line and just have Brace instead. Why do you remind everyone what it does? So Brace, you take a leadership check, and if you pass for the ensuing Assault Phase, you are fearless. And if you fail, you fall back and immediately rally. Yeah, and you count as rallied if the enemy touch comes in contact with you, so it's mm -hmm. you can't even be run down. It's yeah. it's a lot slicker. It's it's much much better reaction, and it doesn't. I mean, 
Paul, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. It does not feel good to have your whole army get shut off because of one reaction. Yeah, just so everyone gets the concept, I charge Brandon with my Justerian, he holds the line. I lose my Legion trait. I lose my right of war. I lose Furious Charge. I lose the Black Reaving. Like, I lose, like, two other things that the Justerian have. You lose too. your extra attack. Right? Yeah, I lose everything. Mm-hmm that makes the Justerian what they are, which are beasts in combat. And just that little word of everything has predicated on a successful charge happening goes away. And all of a sudden I'm kind of just left in the wind, just going, where's all my bonuses? It, it does not feel good. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's, that's the other fix, is actually making it so that, although it counts as disordered, we just need an extra line that says... a disordered charge in these conditions is considered unsuccessful because some disordered charges are successful successfully disordered and i think that's probably where we need the clarification and you could fix whole line that way as well Mm -hmm. yeah a disordered charge does not stop the lion from absolutely bodying two leviathan dreadnoughts what do you want man he's a primarch you absolutely destroyed Fulgrim in one. It was all that. the beef I had. <laughs> Look, the lion is always disordered because he's an avatar of chaos. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty good, <laughs> Martin. Don't take, don't make me throw you off this podcast. <laughs> we'll have to put it to a vote before he can. You'll be fine. <laughs> all right, so. I think that kind of wraps up our pyre side chat here. Um, I hope you guys had kind of fun with this exercise. Um, I thought it was a fun little mental thing to do. Um, Cause I, you know, whenever we talk about how we want to like change things and improve our game, everybody defaults to points. It's okay. Raise the points on this, lower the points on this. And I've always just kind of found that to be an imprecise measure of what truly the offensive thing about something is or the problem with a unit. So I like this idea and you know what? I mean, Game Storage, probably never going to do it, but that's fine. It's, it's their game. That's their prerogative. But I I thought it was a fun kind of mental exercise to go through. Yeah, I had fun. I thought it was interesting. Like, um, I almost, I guess I'm not as familiar with the wider scope of, like specialized units like i know my stuff pretty okay but i'm sure there are plenty of other units out there we could get into like i think some of the um character night lords units don't really take power weapons so they've got these cool chain glaives but i think they're still only like ap4 so whereas so many other specialized units get you know power weapons that are ap3 or 2 um I think Night Lords kind of suffer in that. I mean, they do. They do. They gave me the Dirty Dickens when I was at the Ferex event, so they they had their own shenanigans that work very well for them. But their specialized units, I think, struggle in a way that they don't. They don't necessarily take great weapons sometimes. Yeah, those uh, I can't remember. They called the Atramentar Terminators. And let me be clear. Also, Night Lords have some of the coolest specialized units, like just from a pure model perspective. And those big chain swords are awesome. Um, actually I'll say that's an improvement for this edition. Giving all chain weapons shred, I think was a great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it really makes a chain sword feel like it's actually worth having. Well, it's nice too, because 
it actually gives them something that's a little different from just regular close combat weapons. I always thought it was weird that like this model has a dagger. That guy's got a giant chain sword and they're the exact same profile. So it's mm-hmm. cool to have that difference. It's such an iconic weapon to the setting too that you you want it to have something going on for it. Yeah. And it it actually means that when you give a squad chain swords that they're going to do something. Like I have a mm-hmm. tactical support squad of flamers that I give chain swords to. Those guys do work because they're actually a close combat squad. So they're running with pistols and swords after flaming you down. It's, yeah. I like that. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a great break. I know that we did. Uh, second half of the show here, we really want to talk about, we've had a ton of gaming. Uh, we had a big game weekend here at uh, my house a couple of weeks ago. And then Warwick and I managed to run up to Kansas City to go to the Precipice of Ruin taking a Ferex event. Uh Unfortunately, not everybody on this panel was able to go, but we're going to talk about that quite a bit. Um, everyone was here for the gaming weekend, though, and we had a great time. Um, so, Warwick, you came down for for a week there before we went up to Precipice of Ruin, and then, Martin, you were able to come down for a day, uh, and then, Paul, you also came down for a day as well. So, uh, who wants to lead off here talking about that game weekend? Uh, I mean... I think, did everybody here get a chance to play each other? I don't remember. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to play Paul or Martin, but I know you and I got a couple of games in just to kind of practice for the Ferex thing, but um, why don't uh, the rest of you guys talk first, and then I'll jump in. Yeah, okay. So I guess, Martin, I'll, I'll start off talking about our game. You brought up your Colts and Militia allied with some word bearers. And man, we had a, just an absolutely great game there. We played uh, we played the Siege of Chthonia missions, kind of the King of the Hill mission is the one that we played. You brought a boatload of armor and then a also boatload of guys. Um, so can you kind of run us through like what your list was and yeah. uh, how the game went for you? So yeah, um, so I think I'll start my story a little before the game's weekend. Um, so when the Cults of Militia list came out, just after Christmas now? Long time ago now. Um, it sort of dawned on me that I had a, another heresy army already purchased. Because I, I, back in the day, had collected renegades and heretics um, and had a vast array of cultists in boxes. But I only had three Lehman Russes, and every time I tried to build a list, it required a lot more. Um, so I spent the last four or five months collecting additional Lehman Russes on fire sales on eBay, and... Uh, Spent the best part of the summer painting all the 100 infantry. Um, bear in mind, this is actually not extravagant amounts of infantry for uh, Colts of Militia. Uh, and, um, yeah, took them from the first spin down in Texas. Um, my list, for those who care about such things, was um, a industrial provenance list, which meant I could run excessive amounts of Lehman Russes, which meant I had... Uh, Five squads, uh, two single squads, and then two squads of pair. Um, 
I then had five individual units of infantry with very little equipment. I think there was a couple of flamethrowers scattered in. Um, and that was the bulk of my militia, along with a commander who would shoot anyone on sight. Um, I then had a pile of word-bearer allies, which mostly were there to help the tanks work better. Um, and they did. The list ran really well. Um, my primary word-bearer's force of a pile of galvalback back were assassinated by some dirty librarians. Um, because four swords instant killed uh, Galvor back. And uh, other than that, the armor of the Warmaster and the bodies of endless, endless people looking for freedom um, were able to secure the... Uh, well, secure not the total loss. Let's put it that way. It felt like a win. It wasn't. But it was. <laughs> I think you got a moral victory there. So yeah, I'll run through very quickly. I was, uh, I was playing... Something I was thinking about bringing to the Ferex event. Uh, you let me kind of practice off of that. So I had um, I had a Praetor. I changed up my list. I've dropped the Inner Circle Knights, which is the special Terminators for Dark Angels. Uh, and I added Deathwing Companions instead, which is their, uh, their special retinue. And I, I went up from a squad of five to a squad of ten. And man, those guys put the work in. Uh, they absolutely blended up those Galvor back pretty nicely. Um, I had a couple of tactical squads in there, 10-man Laz Cannon squad that did absolutely nothing because they got pinned in the first turn and then exploded. And then uh, a couple of Dreadnoughts as well. But uh, yeah, it was a really great game. It was really back and forth. You just had so many guys that I was struggling to chew through them. And then... Those those Lehman Russes, the the third rate rules are really cool for them, um, but just by the sheer by virtue of just how many you had and the fact that my Laz cannons were gone, I was having yeah. trouble getting through all of them. I mean, it's I think the third rate rule basically means that you always pen them; you can't glance them. But generally, it doesn't matter because you're getting pens; the tanks destroyed. So, like, yeah, they just drive forward every turn and i played them again yesterday um and we had a pile more tanks because there were two mounts and that's all they did that game they just drove forward the same distance every turn and if you don't deal with them they're a problem they really are and it's a really fun list because it plays very differently and i think i've sort of described in both games that the standard lehman russ isn't that great with the heavy uh, with the rules of the battle cannon as it is at the moment but it's about on par for a tactical squad. A single Lehman Russ can lob a pie plate and use its heavy bolter and put out the amount of wounds that a single tactical squad will. And they're pointed about the same. So, you know, you can kind of see the Emperor's logic in replacing individual tanks with Marines in walking tanks. Mm -hmm. And they fill a very similar job in my militia list. And it's fun. It's different. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. You did. You were very effective at killing my tactical squads. Um, and... Paul, when we get to our game, we'll talk about it because you brought a knight with a battle cannon as well. And you were kind of sitting there uh, complaining, like, all I'm doing is killing tactical marines. And I was like, well, you're also killing all my only way to take objectives. So it, it doesn't feel like it's a lot, but it's actually pretty devastating in, in what it's hitting. Uh, those are not units that I, I really want to get shot. In fact, my strategy in, in basically every game I play is, what do you have that's line? I'm going to kill all of it, and then I'll focus on your 
elite stuff because I can score and you can't. Unfortunately, against Martin's list, there was just so freaking much of it that I couldn't kill it all. Like my Dark Angels are just sitting there clubbing guys left and right. They're just like, there's so many of them. I'm, my arm is getting tired. <laughs> but it, that no, wasn't until like, you found the power of Volkite. That is. Uh, well, I was I was about to say uh, that was probably the most fun part of the game is some some things that I have that in the past you know they've been good but they've never been truly the most effective thing i i did have a squad of 10 dark angels and duck die with the volkite chargers and after after this gaming week and the ferrix event man i just I'm, I'm painting up my second squad of them they are so great um you wouldn't think it just looking at them on paper they just they just do the job for you and when your militia only had armor saves a five up. And so I was going straight through their armor. Whew. I think I missed half of my shots and I still almost killed that entire squad. It, it was pretty devastating. All right. So that was our game. Um, Warwick, do you want to talk about a couple of the games you played over the week? Let's see. You and I did a couple of 3000 point games that were super easy. Talk about uh, a couple of them. And then we'll talk about the emperor's children. Well, I, so I know the first one that you and I played, um, Try, I'm struggling to remember that one now. Oh, no. Now, now I remember. It was... Um, I took my Cerberus Lord of War, and I had a really um, kind of awkward deployment for it, and I was excited to, to use this big laser dick of doom and just, you know, one-shot anything you put in front of it. I think it shot twice the entire game because I could not get it in a good position actually fired anything. We had a lot of cover on the map. Um it was pinned on like one side of the river. So it couldn't like uh, actually line up, get across the gap and then through some ruins and line up on your Spartan on the other end of the board. So it just never did anything. And then I, I didn't, I end up winning that game by just on points. So we were playing the scattering objective one. Right. And what happened was it was really back and forth all game. And yeah, that Cerberus didn't have anything to shoot at because you deployed first. And yeah. I set my Spartan, which was my only tank, on the entire opposite side of the board because I was like, right. I don't want to get touched by that. But what ended up happening is there at the end of the game, it just shot right back to you and I couldn't get to it. Right. And so that's actually happened to me. And I meant to talk about this in the last episode. Uh, I got together with my local hobby group here in Des Moines and we were able to, I was able to play a quick game down there a couple weeks ago where I played the same objective against some salamanders. And it, it ended up being the same. The, the interesting part about that objective, yeah, the, it can scatter back into, you know, one player and they'll score a couple of points just because the other player can't get to it. But it can, it can totally reverse you know, it, the, the same thing can happen the next turn. It's just as likely to scatter back into the enemy forces. And that's why I lost the last game that I played, or I guess the first game I played with that objective, just because it scattered back into my enemy. And on the next turn, it, uh, it scores for higher points. So he was able to outpoint me on that alone. And I meant to shout these guys out. Um, I started talking to the guy, the improbable war gamers here in town and they're a pretty cool group of dudes. We're scheduled to start meeting once a month, uh, talking to Trevor and um, shoot, I can't remember the other guy's name. But go ahead and check out Improbable War Gamers on YouTube if any of you are interested. Uh, I'll try and link that um, in the description. Uh, 
Now, the second game, Brandon, that you and I played was after can we I, had... Can I pause you for just a moment there? Yes. Because um, you, you mentioned something, and I wanted to get everybody's take on this. We had a river on our table. Yeah. What did everybody think of the river? I liked it. I just felt that I had to immediately deal with it in all the games that I played. I don't remember it really doing much in ours. It was kind of... The way the deployment worked out, there was a Ford right at the edge of my deployment zone. So anything I wanted to go one side or the other could immediately just move across. Um, It didn't really feel like a barrier, but I think that was just table placement and uh, deployment zone that really affected that. I enjoyed having a river. I use rivers in my tables a fair bit. That said, I think you have to be careful with the positioning of the Ford. And I did feel that was a bit of a problem on our game. Um, Not that it was a problem for our game. It was an added complication, which I enjoyed. Uh, I think if we were doing playing on that table as often as you did by the end of the week, because I know you really didn't change up the table a huge amount, I think I would have wanted to add some bridges that wouldn't be able to be moved around. Yeah, I... um... I actually never played on the side with the Ford the entire week that we had that table up, but I loved having it on there. Um, it, it became a factor in every single game uh, that we played, even if it was, you know, one person was just able to shoot across the Ford, no problem. And that, that Ford was not exactly centered because just placement of buildings, it, it wouldn't have been enabled to really be used. Um, if, if it had been exactly centered and I don't even think with just the way that that river works, it could be, but adding some extra difficult terrain, I thought was, was a lot of fun there. So I wanted to get y'all's take on that. Um, anyway, Warwick, I'll, I'll let you keep going about the, the games here. Right. So our second game was after we had all gotten done with dinner, Paul was, came over and made curry for us. It was awesome. But you and I had been drinking super heavily, so we played a couple of uh, turns. And then we had dinner and drank a few more beers. And by the time we got back to it, you and I kind of looked at one another. It was like 10, 30 or 11 at night. We're just like, fuck this. And so we had played like maybe two, two and a half rounds before we just kind of gave up because we had drank too much. I, I think I was running my Ferex list for that one, and it was fun and all, and I kind of got a feel for the army. But like I said, we, we didn't get very far in that one. And then our third game was the Emperor's Children game, and you wanted to wait to talk about that, right? Yeah, so we'll talk about that kind of uh, towards the end of us talking about this week before we talk about Ferex. But, uh, Paul, you and I got to play a game on this table, and you brought uh, you brought something that I really wanted to go against and really struggled against as well, which was... What was it, seven Dreadnoughts yeah, in a night? I brought the meme list. Well, <laughs> it kind of started with, back when we were first playing, I had five Dreadnoughts in a list. And it was mostly because that was all I had. So it just was what was on the table. And everyone was so blown away by how tough it was that it kind of became the uh, the Everest that people wanted to climb. So I'd be like, I have this great balanced list that i've made and everyone's like i want to fight five dreadnoughts again because i want to try and beat that and i was like but i have this really cool list idea over here and they're like five dreadnoughts please (laughs) (laughs) so we got to the end of dinner and i was just looking at what i had brought and just as a meme i was like well we could do the five dreadnought list or we could go for broke and brandon was like yeah do it so i think it was two castroferum 
three contemptors, two leviathans, a knight, and then all the like basic requirements to run them as a black reaving right of war. It was a, a pretty, <laughs> it was a ridiculous list. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I think the short summary of it was. I was going to table you for sure if the game went six turns, uh, but the game turn limit was set to four, yeah. and I had one victory point to your like eight. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's the one thing with Dreadnoughts is they don't score a lot, um, especially if you don't have like secondary objectives that really line up with certain units. Yeah, uh, but, I, it, it came down to I played the scenario, you played to murder me, and you were very good at what you were doing, <laughs> and I was very good at what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got to the, what was it, the bottom of turn three, and it was like, okay, the game's over functionally. You've won victory point-wise, but if we go three more turns, I can definitely push you off the table completely. It was very funny, too, because I was winning the entire game, and the entire game, I never once felt like I was winning. I think you like, killed... I think I killed you, two? You killed a Castroferum and a Contemptor, and I think you killed a couple of, like, the Seekers that I had brought. Um, yeah. And I think in return, I wiped 30-ish Tactical Marines... Well, I, I killed think. your Jesterin, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot they were even there, because they were just like, <laughs> I'm just taking these because I have the points. I, I Well, okay, on that note, though, I discovered something that I truly love, and that is Deathwing Companions. Man, those guys are fun. And everybody, everybody's always talking about the Inner Circle Knights, and they're great, don't get me wrong. But I think that they've passed up these, these Deathwing Companions quite a bit, and they are just nasty. Yeah, they were pretty rough. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of any other major highlights to call out. Yeah, we, we kind of talked double a little charged bit. my Leviathan with two Leviathans and absolutely <laughs> pancaked mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was definitely going to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the only thing I wanted to talk about was the night. Um, you kind of covered it a little bit. I remember at the beginning, I wasn't really thinking about the rules and I targeted your Spartan and it was front armor. And I was like, cool. Well, it's a knight. It's a 500-point model. I should be able to handle this. And we both looked at it, and you said, oh, this has a flare shield. You can't even wound this thing. And it was like, huh, that's really weird. Okay, well, my 500-point unit is going to shoot at tactical marines for the whole game. Which, sure, was the tactically smart decision, but it wasn't very fun. <laughs> so, so it was just very weird. To cut in, that's the problem with knights, though. I think knights are just... They're really good on paper for, for what they want to do, but they're just expensive for what they are. Yeah. And they don't have, like... They can't score. Um, but I think that's good. I mean, at the same time, that was a scary, scary list, but Brandon won really well. Brandon oh, yeah. Won because... Yeah, I mean, he handled it perfectly. Yeah. That scenario, he played it right into his own hands and there was really nothing I could do to win from the get-go and I knew it and it was just more like all right well I got big stompy robots and they're going to do what they do best and push you off the table <laughs> I think the knight when you look at a knight it's this big centerpiece model that costs you a lot of points to bring it costs you a lot of dollars to buy and I think it does a very effective job it's just not sexy doing it and I think that's what 
bugs people is this thing should be sexy while it's doing its job and it's yeah. just not but it i mean it just it absolutely mints and you talk about you weren't you weren't enjoying what it was doing it was terrifying me because i was like i can't i gotta keep these tactical marines alive and you were just churning through them yeah i i think it was just tactical marines don't feel like the threat it should be going after that's what i'm saying it's not it's very effective at what it's doing it's just not sexy it's just not sexy yeah (laughs) i remember hearing some people talking about like knights and primarchs and they were like the big problem is is if your opponent's not bringing big stompy robots and primarchs too and you're just using those models to kill you know again tactical marines or basic infantry or even dreadnoughts it just doesn't feel like you're you're getting the most fun out of the game that you could. You want Primarchs to duel each other. You don't want to throw your Primarch into, you know, 10 support units and just wipe them off the map. It just, it's tactically a good choice. It just doesn't feel fun. And and there's also a thing of, you know, again, like Martin was saying about points, you know, that things upwards of 400, almost 500 points. Yeah, he decimated those tax squads. He did not make his points back. Like, not even close. And it, it's also the same thing with, like, Primarchs, too. Or when I'm talking about the Jesteran losing their trades, I might kill more models, but, you know, when a uh, multi-melta Jesteran dies, that's 75 points off the table and you lose the trade, you know? So there's just weird stuff like that in the game, too, that happens a lot. Yeah, I think it comes down to how you approach the game as well, because I, I get the points trade thing. I think about that kind of stuff too, but I I try to think more about, okay, what is this doing for my, not just from a points perspective, but what is this doing for my opponent's army? So is putting 10 last cannons into a tactical squad necessarily like a good points trade? No, not, not until that my opponent has nothing to score with and I do. Yeah. 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 It's fair enough. So, I mean, this is a, it's an old school competitive problem. When we think back to like fifth edition 40 K, we are used to kill points being a thing. We don't have that. The way we need to think about our units and assessing their activity is like, how many points did this stop the enemy scoring or how many points did this score me? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, that's a great way to think looping about it. get back round is the problem. I don't have is the, why I don't have any issue with the Scissorane axe guys because they generally don't come out well on that formula. Mm-hmm. Unless we're looking at a King of the Hill situation, they aren't going to stop me scoring. Well, they and have then, line, so yeah. they are going to stop you from scoring. Yeah, but they'll only <laughs> one objective. Yeah, and they're still a slow unit, so it's still yeah. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but either way, it was a meme list, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a good game. I can't wait to do it again. I know you have your nice balanced list that you're super <laughs> excited to try out, and I'm going to be like, uh, I mean, Dreadnought. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of leaning into the meme. At this point, I might as well just start buying Dreadnoughts and run Fury of the Ancients. I'll be <laughs> that guy. I've already got Custodes, too. Yeah. <laughs> That I do want to fight, and I know that I'm going to get my teeth kicked in, but I want to do it anyway. Um, All right, so, Warwick, let's talk about the newcomers to the channel here, the sexy boys themselves, the Emperor's children, led by the sexiest boy, Fulgrim. 
who turned out to not be sexy at all. We ran a Primarchs game for the third game. And you would think that when you throw Phoenix Terminators and Fulgrim at Bobby G and Scizorane, that Fulgrim would be able to do something against that. I think he put one wound on me. Did you even kill a Suzerain that game? No, I put one single wound on you. And then I proceeded to body the Phoenix Terminators and Fulgrim in a round of combat. It was disgusting. Yeah. And let me be clear. I had five Phoenix Terminators and Fulgrim against Bobby G and 10 Suzerains. And this is not a fight that I went into expecting to win, but I had a gap in that line you knew that I, I was making good progress everywhere else on the board. Right. But you had folded up that despoiler squad pretty effectively. And I had that gap in my line that I needed to close. So you couldn't swing into my objective because we were playing the, the scenario where each player has an objective in their deployment zone. And so I was like, okay, I just need you guys to close the gap for a turn, you know, maybe you know hold them up for two turns and i mean they didn't even last a single round of combat it was horrendous. was that the game where you ran the dreadnoughts into the building and popped my land raider no that was the second game you're thinking okay. of uh this is the one where i put the dreadnoughts in outflank oh yeah and i think that hamstrung you too because you got that movement bonus for having something in outflank but when you brought them on you lost that movement bonus and your dreadnoughts were on the opposite end of the board at that point so yeah yeah, there, there's just no point in having them because they didn't do anything the whole game. I got I got to say, full, I, and, and this might just be could be because I'm used to running the Lion when I run a Primarch, but Fulgrim is hands down the most disappointing Primarch I've ever seen. Yeah, and like even his pistol, you would think that a Primarch's pistol would do something cool. Isn't his pistol like AP4? Yeah. So his his shooting, like, and I'm not even saying that shooting should be a factor in a Primarch, the point is, like, for as badass as Fulgrim is written, he does not translate very well to the tabletop. Yeah. Well, I will say the whole, like, the perfect guard thing that you were doing was kind of giving me fits there for a minute. But even with all that, it didn't stop me from absolutely bodying that unit. Well, you know what? You want to know why? It's because you went up to weapon skill six. True. Yeah, uh, it's a hell of a lot more effective, and we saw it be a lot more effective when you were only hitting me on sixes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, Fulgrim, looking at him, first off, I think we learned real quickly, don't take the blade to the lair. Yeah, take the really fire disappointing, blade. honestly, because it's supposed to be this super alien sword with a freaking greater demon hogtied inside. And it, it's pretty sad. It's 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 not very good. Um, and then the uh, Fulgrim's thing. I mean, it's pretty apparent when you when you read his rules. He needs to be fighting in challenges. The problem I had was I went into that squad. And I was like, I can't really challenge here because what am I going to do? Just smash one suzerain? Yeah. It doesn't really help me. I was like, I need to spread these attacks out. But I, I just did nothing. Um, it was it was pretty bad. And then the Phoenix Terminators, I wasn't expecting them to do a lot, but they're supposed to be a defensive unit. They're not supposed to be a really offensive unit. Right. So kind of the thing I'm running into, too, with Tartaros Terminators. I'm running a lot of Tartaros for my Emperor's Children because it's very Emperor's Children to do. 
the going from a four five, a four up invulnerable save to a five up invulnerable save, you feel it. You really feel it. You don't think you would as much, but you you do. I don't know, Paul uh, Martin. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Fulgram at all, or with uh, with Gilliman. If you got anything you want to input here, yeah, uh, I'm not too familiar with his 2.0 rules. I weirdly enough, he's the Primarch that I've physically seen on tables the most out of any other Primarch. I think it might be because he was one of the first sculpts to come out along with Angron, but like everywhere from back in 1.0 when I was going to my old store all the way up to here, it just everywhere I go, somebody has Fulgrim. So he was popular at one point. I don't remember him being super amazing in 1.0 either. Um, I know he definitely doesn't stand up to a lot of the later release Primarchs like the Lion, because the Lion came out right at the tail end of 1.0 and he's definitely got a bit of a, a buff to him. I've heard that Angron struggles a lot too because he was in that first book release and they just never really kind of upped them to match the times, it seems like. But yeah, I've never actually played against him, so I don't know too much about his real play style, just stuff that I've seen and heard. Well, his shtick is basically that if he's in a challenge, um, he gets a boatload of extra attacks. Uh, thing is... Again, if, if he's in a challenge, it, that's great if you're in a squad that can only accept with one one unit. Uh, right, but you're generally speaking, you're always going to be running a Primarch with somebody that either, either has Chosen Warrior or other characters in that unit. And in hindsight, honestly, with how bad I did, I should have just challenged the one Suzerain to try and stomp him out. But It's the common problem, though. In many ways, the specialist close combat squads are all pretty close together so it can suddenly be determined on a few dice rolls and you don't even notice them because you know because they're instant killing each other because they're ignoring their armor one thing has a habit of rolling very quickly and i'd be interested to see what would happen if you refought that fight five or six more times um running off a single incidence i always a bit more like well maybe Maybe you should have challenged. We'll see. But then again, you, you're fearless. So challenges aren't really that useful because you aren't going to get the combat res. Yeah, it, it just seems like Fulgrim just really seems like he's not meant to fight Primarchs because his other rule, Tactical Excellence, makes it so that once per game, when he charges, you can't react to him. But if you have a Primarch, you just ignore that. Um, and we, pl we actually played that wrong in our game. We thought it was just, you just, it didn't matter. Um, so, but but honestly, with how unimpressive he was, all that would have happened was he would have done even worse than he already did. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even though I wasn't able to, because you charged me, even though you charged me, I wasn't able, to, or I didn't hold the line. I could have, but because we did the rule wrong, even though you got your extra attacks, it didn't make a difference. Yeah. I mean, he is weapon skill eight. Only strength six, though, on the Blade of Lair. Yeah. With Fleshbane, but strength seven on the Fireblade. That is interesting. Yeah. But even strength seven is not that useful. It's that, it, it, but he has that murderous strike on that five plus. Yeah. Um, but in something like Susserain, because the thing that Primark does really well is pick out the important characters, because they can always precision strike. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that against those Susserains. They're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. They're all which make Which, I mean, I've been. Digging on them for a while, but one of their advantages is the fact that they are 
all great. There's n- you. There's no point sniping out the general. They're all good. They don't have one. No. So I mean, it, they are the perfect mirror for the Empress children. They probably would be a very good Empress children unit. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, they'd be a good unit for anyone who got them. But yeah, so that was our first game with the Emperor's Children. Um, in a way, it kind of worked out great because I didn't want to run a Primarch or name characters with this army anyway. And in our second game, it was a very different game because we ran, uh, you ran your Ferex list and I ran an Emperor's Children list with no name characters. I didn't take any of the Ferex upgrades or anything like that. Um, but we did get to learn the true MVP of the Emperor's Children, the Palantine Blade Aquilae Squad. Oh, man, are these guys great. They they are something nasty. Yeah, they really put in the work. And I know you got lucky because you rolled a couple of sixes with your um, instant or your murderous strike. I charged Leviathan Dreadnought into this squad and they bodied it. No, you, the didn't, you did not charge that Leviathan into me. I pulled my perfect counter on you and I charged oh, you. Oh shit. Yeah, that's another rule that they have. If I go to if you go to charge these Emperor's Children guys, they can basically fucking counter charge you. And like I said, they got the drop on this dreadnought dreadnought. He rolls two sixes with his uh paragon blade and insta kills my freaking dreadnought. Yeah, it was uh Man, they they're they're nasty and they're fast. The the Emperor's Children rule where they strike at an initiative step higher if they make the charge. I put a lot of unwieldy stuff on my Emperor's Children. A lot of power axes um, in in my army. So and, and you wouldn't think that striking at initiative step two would be that big of a deal, but it really ends up being devastating. Sorry, I've now got to cut in because I've just spent some time double checking the maths on this. Um, I think your mistake in the fight against the Scissorain was actually using any of the uh, skill unmatched abilities. Every single one of them you do not want to be doing against an elite combat unit because you're always losing something. You're either losing your weapon skill or you're using you're losing your attacks. And because you aren't striking with AP two weaponry, you need every attack you can get to get that six plus breaching murder strike. But you also need to be hitting, so you can't afford the weapon skill loss. So no matter what choice you make, you're making a bad choice. Okay. We'll have to make, maybe we'll run it again at some point. We'll see. Um, I've got plenty of skill unmatched in my army with or without Fulgrim. So yeah, we'll I have just, opportunities to try again. I think I think as a someone just looking at the rules briefly on the phone, the uh, skill unmatched is a trap against elite combat units. Because you're then suddenly degrading your ability somewhat. And with only those Palatine Spears not being AP2, you are going to feel it if you make a wrong choice. Yeah, so I I ran uh, both... This is something I was really looking forward to with running these guys, was with Dark Angels, I've got the Hexagrammaton as my army bonus. Um, if I take a Rite of War, it makes me lean into one specific wing, which kind of, to me, foregoes the army bonus because you lose that variety to have all those tools in your toolbox. And also, the Dark Angels, I mean, I'll go out, I'll say it here, I think that they have the worst advanced reaction of all the legions. It's horrendous. And if you guys don't know what it is, that's fine, because I don't think I've ever used it against any of you. So, actually, that's not true. I used it against Warwick in our very first game of Heresy. 
and it was useless. So I'm, I'm really excited with these Emperor's Children because I have a Rite of War that is really great in the Maruzgara, and I've got an advanced reaction that I can actually use. Now, it's swingy, it's finicky, it may go off, it may not, but I have the option, and it's really strong when it does happen. Case in point, that Leviathan Dreadnought got absolutely murdered uh, when, when I went into it. So yeah, the Emperor's Children, I think there's gas in that tank. I think you're on the right track with a lot of that stuff. The only drawback to the Palantine Blades is that they don't get invulnerable saves, right? Yeah, no invulnerable saves on those guys, uh, which is which is a pretty big drawback. But they're not, you know, they're not an elite ret- retinue unit. They are just an elite slot. So, and it was certainly it, it looked like a fun list. But um, do we want to start getting into our Ferex stuff? We're starting to get a little long in the tooth here, and I know we've been putting out a couple of short episodes, but. Let's talk our Ferex setup. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, why don't, why don't you lead us off here? Right, so the the taking of Ferex has been uh, something we've talked about a couple of times. I know we had Lucas on a while back, and then I plugged um, the Amber Strand Part 2, I believe, last time. But they held an event in Kansas City, and Brian and I were lucky enough to make it. And we were just running 3,000-point lists. We did... The first day we did two regular games and a Zone Mortalis game, and the second day we did two regular games again. I had a great first game. Um, I was a little hungover, and my opponent was very tired. But it's a super casual environment. We had a great time. I was playing against Death Guard. This guy had an amazing-looking army. And the boards that they do for Ferex just look amazing. So I was really... uh, really enamored with all that. I thought they did an amazing job on the setup. The organizers were awesome. They were, they were just really cool to hang out with. So I was playing a defensive mission for my first match and the death guard really struggled to get across the board and cap the other objectives. So I came ahead on like two victory points on my first game. My second game, I was playing an ambush map. And I was the ambushed. So I set up everything in the very center of the table. And then my opponent was actually running Demons of the Runestorm. And he surrounded me completely and absolutely kicked my teeth in. It wasn't even close. I got clubbed like a baby seal. It was horrible. He had first turn on night fighting. I got to return fire once and overwatch once. And it was just over after that. He got charges on the first turn. And I'm not blaming my opponent for this. It was just a really rough setup for me because he had a really good setup and I couldn't do any shooting. If I had had one round of shooting, even in night fighting, it would have been a totally different game. Not, I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining about this match. I think that if I had done a couple things differently, I could have done a lot better on the second game. But... It was just a great setup for my opponent. Demons are nasty. They are just, they are crazy. They get some really awesome war gear. They get some awesome uh, HQ choices. Their elite, the elite unit he was running were absolutely devastating. Even the blood letters running, he was running just big blocks of blood letters that um, just tore me to pieces. It was crazy. So he came out big on that one. And then at the, uh, the end of the day, 
for our, our third round, we did a team's zone mortalis game. So Brandon and I got to team up and do some zones mortalis where we were holding the inside of a ship that was being boarded and we were fighting traitor iron hands and traitor dark angels. And we absolutely bodied those guys. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to very, very quickly run through my great games here. First off, uh, shout out to the Ferrix guys for putting together just an awesome event. They absolutely killed it. Um, the, the venue was also great. Um, Cardboard Cafe in Kansas City. Uh, if you ever in the area, go check it out. They really got a great shop up there. Um, really nice. And uh, we had a really great time up there. So I obviously brought my Dark Angels. And as anyone who plays Dark Angels knows, when you go to an event and there's an uneven number of traders and loyalists, the first thing they ask if they don't have enough traders is who's playing Dark Angels. And it's me every time. So I played on the trader side um, up until the zone mortalis. I got to switch back over to the, uh, the loyalists for a bit, but for the frontline games, it was all trader for me. So in game one, I played uh, a gentleman named Kurt and his space wolves, uh, which was awesome. He came and found me. He was like, you're playing dark angels, right? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, we're going to have a fight and then we'll have our battle. <laughs> and so we lined our praetors up in the middle of the board and had our honor duel, uh, which my my captain of the 83rd order was able to win. Uh, we just played, we bet a drink on it. Uh, it was a good old time. He ran a pretty awesome Space Wolf list with a lot of close combat, as Space Wolves do. He kind of ran into an issue of he put his guys in outflank and there were a bunch of objectives on the table that you could score points every turn. And since he failed his reserve roll in turn two, he just didn't have a lot on the board to push me off these objectives. And so by the time his stuff got onto the board, I had just racked up so many points. And since all of that stuff from his army had to come on in outflank from one point, you know, he started rolling up with his Vargir and his other Terminators. He started rolling up that side of the board on me pretty quick. And I said, you can go ahead and have all of that because I've already got the points lead way ahead. You know, he, he asked me, he was like, are you going to get your Praetor out with your Deathwing companions and come fight my Praetor and my Vargir? And I said, no. And I drove away in the Spartan. <laughs> I told him that my Praetor stuck his hand out of the hatch and flipped him the bird as he was driving away. And he was like, that's the most dishonorable thing ever. And I was like, hey. My tactical brilliance was required somewhere else on the battlefield. So, but no, great game, great guy. Um, ended up being a victory for me. Game two, I played against a guy named Scott and his Raven Guard. Beautifully painted Raven Guard army. Incredibly impressive. You could see the detail he put into to edge highlight all that black. Looked absolutely fantastic. We actually played the same mission that Warwick played in round one. I was the attacker. Uh, he was the defender. We both kind of joked that it realistically should have been swapped because his list wants to get forward and fight and mine wants to stand still and defend. But just ended up being how it was. Traders had the upper hand, so they were on the attack uh, at that point. Um, he also brought a knight, which was really cool. Um, and what ended up happening, just by the time we... Uh, got to the towards the end of the game. I could only score objectives at the end of the game where he could score each turn. And he just kind of ran up points um, 
on me. And even if I had gotten to a point where I'd taken all three, I would have had to take all three objectives at the end of the game, which I was just not in a position to do in order to win. Um, but all the good game, all around good game. I also, um, we didn't talk about it a bit. Uh, Martin, I know you're familiar with this, the NPC system there and everything. I was racking up NPCs. Um, I think by the time I finished, I had four and I had war gear as well. Every single point of interest I could find, I was grabbing them. Um, I found a weather generator in that turn too. We had both agreed we didn't want night fighting. I flip on this weather generator. It turns the whole board to night fighting for the entire game. And I was like, so how much night vision did you bring being Raven guard? And he was like a lot. So <laughs> it was pretty bad. I, I have to ask, uh, what particular NPCs did you have? Because um... I found the Jakaro right off the bat. So I found the Dark Emissary. Then I got, uh, gosh, what else did I find? I actually found two Dark Emissaries. My opponent in game three found the, the second one, which immediately came to my army and then got Fury of the Legion off the board because he was way off alone in his deployment zone. Uh, I also got an Automaton with a big old hammer. And um, I found a Magos, which was pretty cool. And then what else did I find? Oh, Warwick got the Jakaro killed in his game. So I got the Jakaro later. That thing is the best NPC they have. And I don't even know what they all are, but the Jakaro is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so the, yeah. Old Joe got bodied by the demons. So it's not like it was, it's not like it was a player on my part. and didn't have a choice. Yeah, I also found one of the automatons in my um, in my last game, and I found the one of the cyber mastiffs in the last game. Yeah, yeah. The, other than that, I just found war gear. And you had the spiders on all the tables. So there weren't as many drones. Um, there was one table that called back to the Amber Strand that was absolutely full of drones, but they I think they're moving off of the drones now. Good, 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 good. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I was definitely blast, looking but... out for them. Yeah, you told me some horror stories about the drones, but it seems like they've toned them back quite a bit. Yeah, and at, at uh, least none of your characters, when none of your uh, predators were named on NPCs. There's a there's an assassin that runs around that has a specific order to kill my warlord, and it's a problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I I did find a piece of war gear that gives a character a four up invulnerable save against ranged attacks, and if you if you make your save, the attacking unit has to take like D6 strength five hits, I want to say. So I was getting one of the one of the games I played later on, I was getting shot by a rapier battery with the laser destroyers. And I made like two of my two out of three saves and made that gun crew take a bunch of uh, armor saves from that. So that was kind of cool. Second game ended up being a loss for me, as I said. I just, I just couldn't get the, um, I couldn't, couldn't get the points uh, on the objectives there. I will say the the moment of the game for me though was uh, the knight charged my inducti, and my inducti after losing the combat res rolled a double one on their on their fallback and stuck in with the knight, and he was like. Which actually ended up probably losing me the game because I had a Melta Lance shot lined up next turn for that night, and I was just stuck in combat with some inducti. I was like, "You guys are supposed to be like the new guys; you should be getting out of here." But nope, they stuck it in, uh, which kind of cost me the game. But 
it's all right. It was a good time. Um, he was getting really frustrated because he just poured fire into my contemptors and I was just rolling so hot on invulnerable saves that put two thirds of his army into them for two turns. And they just laughed at him until he finally brought him down. Then we got to the zone Mortalis in the evening. Uh, one of the, one of the guys there, one of our opponents, Grant, he, uh, he was playing loyalists as iron hands, but he was like, Hey, for this, I kind of want to try traders. It kind of works within my army narrative. What I'm doing here that I play traders for this Warwick And I really wanted to play together. So it worked out great. Um, and then I, I'm ashamed to say I did not pick up our other opponent's name. He was playing dark angels as well. Um, uh, so is really fun. Uh, this is my first time playing it. Uh, I know it's very different how they do it versus the actual game. They get rid of the reinforcement points and stuff like that. And and I will say this game, I said I'd talk about it during our Pyreside chat, but this is where I kind of was like, wow, these suzerains are actually very problematic because those suzerains soloed 1,500 points of Iron Hands by themselves. They stacked up in one doorway, and he just could not crack them, and he threw um- Almost. I did, points of Terminators. At I did get my Dreadnought in there at one point. I think it killed one Terminator. And then those Terminators came back and popped my Dreadnought. And that bought me just enough time to get my Suzerain back in the fight. And then it kind of was a similar thing. I had a little bit more of a problem with the uh, the Deathwing companions on the other side. Uh, my opponent brought uh, the Inner Circle Knights, but he brought the Paladin Oath for fighting Psykers. So if I had put them in they would have just absolutely rinsed that squad because I have my librarian with them. So I ended up calling for some help from some ultramarines and uh, taking care of that. And we were able to clear out our sector. And then we started running towards the middle of the board where they were still fighting. And we lined up our entire army on the other sides of these doors. And this night Lord guy looks down, sees our basically 3,000 points of Ultramarines and Dark Angels sitting on the other side of a door waiting for the next Loyalist turn. And he was like, yep, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah, so the setup was, it was three boards end-to-end built like the hull of like a space station. And Loyalists had to defend the the inside of it while the traders boarded. And since the tables were all end-to-end, technically the same map, we got to the, the joint where the boards joined together and started to open the door when the traders in the inside were like, Oh shit, we got to go. <laughs> it was hilarious because we just started booking it as soon as we cleared our sector. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, my final game of the day, I only got to play three games. Um, I had a very long drive back to Texas after game three, which I'll talk about in just a second, I, I went up to the event organizers, asked them, hey, is there somebody here on the Loyalist side that I can absolutely blow through a game with because I got a seven-hour drive, um, and I'd like to get a head start on that if I can. Apparently, uh, a couple of Loyalist people had had to drop, so we actually had an uneven number and had too many traders at that point. So I played one more game and then left. Uh, but that was against Chris and his Imperial Fists. Great game. Ton ton of fun here. This is where I ended up shooting those bikes that I was talking about earlier. I was a little bit disappointed in that, but we had a good old punch up right in the middle with his cataphracti and my Deathwing companions. And I, you know what I would actually say won me the game uh, here was a Phosphex discharger on my Leviathan Dreadnought because I managed to, he unloaded some despoilers to go hit my inducti who were uh close enough to be to be bothersome to him 
and I dumped a Phosphex round right in front of them uh, on Overwatch from his Leviathan charge. His Leviathan failed his charge on my Dreadnought, but that Phosphex sat there and disordered his charge into my uh, Inducti, which saved their life. Uh, but that ended up, it was another really fun game. Um, and shout out to all of those guys had an awesome time. I would love to play any of you again, and I hope to see you all again at another event, uh, in the near future. I will not be making it to Adepticon where I know a lot of those guys are going, uh, but really good time. Uh, Martin, I know you've gone to, you didn't go to this one, but you've gone to Phyrex events in the past. Um, I think you would speak as highly of them as, as we are. Yeah, I made it to both the Amber Strand part one, part two. And uh, yeah, I had an absolute blast. It's exactly as you described. They're really fun games and they manage to do something that's really important, I think, which is tell a cohesive story and add just enough to the game that we don't notice the missing Primarchs. I know that was something that came up the last time we had one of these round tables. And I think they do a really good job of being like, hey, this is how we play it without it. Yeah. And actually, so that, that brings up a really good point. I want to shout out their their homebrew system for the Phyrexian Praetor. Uh, I brought, I Warwick, I don't know if you brought anything in, in that upgrade tree. I did. And that made my Praetor feel like what I want a Praetor to feel like. So I brought the Dark Angels uh, upgrade specifically for for my praetor which allows him to take a paladin oath from the inner circle knights so when my praetor was going into combat because he was deathwing and weapon skill six against most things other than another praetor he's twos re-rolling ones with his paragon blade and just made him feel like what i wanted what what i want a praetor to be so i think they've done a really good job with that system i know uh, Martin, you've used it, correct? The, yeah, the my, uh, character. my prayer toy runs around as a master duelist, so he's running in with Duelist Edge 2 and just literally chops people's heads off before they get close to him. Um, mm-hmm. it's spectacular. Yeah, I think they've done a really good job with that system. So much so that like, I want to just add it in regular games. I think it's great. Yeah, I need to look more into that. I barely had time to do it. Like, I didn't get any kind of narrative for my own guys written. Um, I barely picked out any names. I felt really bad about that, but so overall, I had a great time. Just on that front, the thing about telling stories in Horus Heresy is that it's something we can do after the game. I've wrote a small book about my prayer tour, and I wrote the whole thing after the games are done. They bring life to our games. That's what Grant and I did after the Zone Mortalis game. And shout out to Grant. He's an awesome dude. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that we, we got to play against him and his uh, little contingent of Traitor Iron Hands because... After the game, we decided that instead of me killing his traitor praetor outright, I took him captive. And so now I've got this uh, this traitor iron hand with no bionic limbs just sitting in a cardboard box somewhere, which we thought was hilarious. Yeah, he asked but, us, he's like, you're going to take my praetor captive. What are you going to do with him? We're like, we're going to strip all his bionics off and throw him in the trunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... We talked about that and had a great time. Uh, moving on to day two for me, I was I stuck around a lot longer than Brandon had because it's only a three-hour drive from Kansas City back home for me. And my first game that day was against this kid named John, and he was running Night Lords. And he has convinced me that my Traitor Legion is going to be Night Lords because, holy shit, are they fun. They look like a blast. He had a, a really solid list of some 
uh, terror squads, tactical marines. He had like three dreadnoughts and a unit of the the rapier gun batteries with uh, the neutron lasers, I think. And they just looked like so much fun because he's just like, my right of war means night fighting. We're going to have at least two turns of night fighting and basically all my shit has see in the dark. And it was just brutal for me. I had to put like a bunch of stuff in cover. Um, we were playing, Martin, you've probably seen the map. It's the crashed ship and you're like trying to get inside in, oh, Martin's oh, it's, doing the, it's, it's an it's, awesome it map. Is, it is the Perixian map. It is the crashed freighter that discovered the Perixian system. I yep. actually hate it. But uh, my criticisms that are very well known. I have trouble with the map, but I think it's it's such a fan. It's a beautiful. My God, I had I had a, a ton of fun on that map. I can't tell you how much fun I had there. So John and I duked it out, and we had a really even game for like two turns. And then on t- on turn three, I was able to run him off of the the rear objective and the center objective. He barely got a unit in on that first objective, and because of that. I came ahead by only like two control points or two uh, victory points on that one. And I had Slay the Warlord because I was able to kill his Praetor. And uh, we had um, uh, Leviathan on Leviathan duel. They ran into one another, tore each other to bits, and both blew up in the same turn. It was insane. It was so cool. And at the end of each of these battles, the organizers are like, you've got your, your sheet here. Fill out, you know, who won, what you got for points, and then write, like, a cool little narrative event. Like, if something cool happened during the battle, you know, throw in a name in there and, uh, you know, tell us about what happened and maybe we'll be able to work it into the narrative. Which I had, uh, my first game, I had a Breacher Sergeant with a Thunder Hammer solo one of those uh, Phyrexian defense automatons. So, like, the, the guy with the big hammer that you found, Brandon... I had a a, um, a breacher sergeant kill one of those, and it—that's what I picked for my narrative uh, for that game. I thought it was really cool. Uh, so yeah, playing against—I I couldn't for the life of me cannot remember my first two opponents' names, and I'm really sorry about that. But I'm just bad with the names in general. Please don't take that personally. My fourth game was against world leaders. This fellow named Chris, and he had an amazingly painted army. It was so cool. In uh, the Phyrex guys asked for some feedback about their scenarios, and I think I, I need to give them some feedback about the defensive missions because I got completely destroyed by the demons that first defensive game that I did. Chris had a really bad setup for another similar kind of defensive game uh, in my last round. And he had a bunch of his stuff in Deep Strike, so he put like a Land Raider with five Red Butchers two Contemptors and a Leviathan in this central deployment zone. And I was able to stack up on him nearly immediately. His objective, however, was guard the VIP. To which Chris said, I'm a world leader. I don't give a fuck about a VIP. And put him out in the open. The awesome part about the Phyrex campaign is that we're always finding this unique war gear. Well, I mentioned earlier on... um, the Night Lord's player got me with this. Uh, it's the Invulnerable Save Disruptor. The uh, it really it reduces it by two. So I won that from the Night Lords when I played him. Another piece of kit that the Night Lord had that I was able to pry off his cold dead corpse was an orbital bombardment laser. 
So the VIP in my fourth match is sitting out in the open. I just call the pie plate down on him, standing there by himself, and I immediately get three victory points for killing this VIP. And the world eaters didn't have it for the, you know, they, they would only get it if they had guarded him. But the world eaters are so, we don't give a shit about this guy. We're just going to go kill the blue guys. So in the first round, I basically win that game. And then I'm able to pick apart his Leviathan Dreadnought, put a couple wounds on the Contemptors. And then the Scissoring absolutely body the Red Butchers when I I actually charged their Land Raider with the Suzerain and the, the Thunder Hammers were able to take that Land Raider apart. And then when the Red Butchers came out, they charged the Suzerain in the next turn and the Suzerain were able to, to deal with them pretty efficiently. However, even though I held the line against them, the Red Butchers still can hit like a bus. I got really lucky with a lot of my saves, but uh, I still came out on top. The downside to Chris's list was that his Praetor and... I think he had uh, like 20 despoilers and a couple other things in one of the big Deathclaw drop pods. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, Super awesome model. It never made it on the table because he filled his reserve roll. He also had a fire raptor in that ship, which did make it on board. But shout out to my brother Maniple. They don't... You're not the only one who struggles with them, buddy. Because Chris's fire raptor gunship made it on the board fired all of its guns, including its Hellstrike missiles. I think they're Hellstrike missiles. The, the big missiles that they have didn't hurt anything. He, In fact, he shot that Hellstrike missile at my Cyber Mastiff that was off by itself and missed. So a Cyber Mastiff survived a Hellstrike missile. And it was just, it was just a rough time for him. It was... But... It was also at the end of the day, and he was just kind of like, I just want an easy game. We're going to do this real casual. And I was like, I am all for that. So great guy to play against. He had an awesome looking army. And, you know, he was just another contrib- contributing factor as to how awesome the event itself was. And then uh, after that, we did prizes and awards. And I think I mentioned earlier on, I got um, preferred enemy trader. So all my opponents, and they said there were no ties on that. So I came out ahead of, of somebody there. And I mentioned this to Brandon. I, I gooned myself when I voted for my preferred enemy because I had so much fun playing against Grant in that Zone Mortalis game. I voted for him. Not even thinking. I was just like, favorite traitor? Oh, those Iron Hands. That was such a fun game. So I kind of gooned myself there, and I apologize for it. I, I'm sure that I screwed up some swing vote there or whatever. Maybe maybe I'm just thinking too highly of myself. But um you know, Grant was so so fun to play against. It wasn't even a second thought. When I got asked, I was just like, oh yeah, not even close. Not that sounds that sounds bad saying that. Everybody else was a blast to play against. I had a lot of fun playing against everybody. I, there was just something different about uh, that Zone Mortalis game. Maybe it was just because Zone, Mortal- Zone Mortalis itself was so much fun. But overall, great time. I had so much fun. I can't recommend the Ferex events enough. If you're a casual uh, Horus Heresy player, Definitely look into that. We'll try to link that in the description. Please go check them out. All right. And with that, I think uh, we've kind of reached the end of our episode here. Uh, Paul, Martin, thanks for, again for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure to have you both on here. Um, anything you guys want to say before we head out? No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I do want to say, after spending a bit of time double-checking the rules for Scissorains, just loop back, I can see why you've got problems with them. They aren't a problem. 
but they are perfectly optimized. And I'll give them that. We're gonna we're gonna have Warwick just absolutely hammer you with these things, and then you're gonna Martin. You're, we're gonna bring you back on the show. Martin has a very diplomatic way of saying "busted as fuck." He says they're they're very well optimized. No, they're just broken. They're 175 points. They should they're, be like 250. They are exactly what you want a unit to do without any yeah, special rules. Everything. No, no, no. They don't. <laughs> they don't do anything because there's no additional special rules. But that also means there's no additional special rules for you to ignore. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah. guys, I think we're gonna. Uh, Paul, do you wanna? Oh, I was just uh, gonna sign off. But uh, yeah. does Martin have anything he wants to plug before? Uh... We let him get off here. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I do have my own podcast. Uh, you should probably check it out. It's uh, the Fires of Betrayal podcast, available on all good podcasting sites. I'm doing podcasts immensely irregularly right now because I'm teaching at a high school, and this year is hell. So I've just put an episode out where Brandon was very kind to be on my show. I've got another one in the works with some guys from Pyrex talking about the incredible stories we're telling in that narrative, but I'm not sure when I'm going to get around to recording it. So um, we'll see. Definitely looking forward to hearing that. I like hearing from those guys. And they did a great job organizing the event, so good for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, shout out to the Ferex guys. Again, I, I really just cannot speak highly enough of what an awesome job they did. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to, to doing that again as soon as possible. Uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by, everybody. Give us a follow on social media. Give us a shout out. Shoot us an email to tell us about how Warwick is completely wrong about the Master of Signal being undertuned. Uh, we'd love to hear about how he just has terrible judgment with these things. But our, our email is legioncast18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear anything insulting his what thrown his way. Um, and then also follow us on Twitter, Legion cast, a Horace heresy podcast. Uh, I don't know how active we are because I'm not on it. And our social media guy is terrible. Yeah. No argument here. <laughs> social media is also just cancer. So yeah. Whatever. Um, and then I believe we have an Instagram as well. Um, so that is one I never use because Instagram is a garbage platform. Okay. Well, you're supposed to be our social media guy and you're doing a very terrible job anyway. Uh, yeah, so go ahead and give us a follow on any of those. Tweet at us or X at us or whatever. You know what I mean. And then uh, we'll uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. And remember to march in fortune. Yeah.